is the Schaefer Baseball Report, an inside look at America's pastime. From Little League all the way to the big leagues. Now here's your host, former Major League infielder Jeff Schaefer. Welcome everybody, Schaefer Baseball Report, large number. Where are we at, Andrew? 91. 91. Climbing, going to get to oh, yeah. the, uh, the century mark here, right? Very soon. <laughs> pretty, pretty quick. That's us. Uh, so we talk every week, Dust, between... Um, the radio show and the podcast, we're, we're approaching 300. It's impressive. It's pretty cool, right? Yeah. And then on, where, what, what's our number here on Podbean? What's, where are we at in the, uh, we're not, in we're the nine, rankings? Oh, in the rankings, we're number nine. On number baseball nine at a baseball podcast, so that's pretty nice. cool. Like, who, and we're nobody. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of nobody's talking garbage. But uh, So today's guest, obviously, we got, we got Ray Torres in the house, got Andrew Wontulzyke producing and chiming in and uh the current third base coach for the uh major league team of philadelphia phillies dusty wathen who's uh who's been around cbc for quite a while and also his um dusty and heidi and his family have been really instrumental and you deserve a chance foundation a big big supporters every year from from art and tickets and stuff from the phillies and uh mave making pictures and um, you know, just different things, jerseys, everything that goes towards uh, towards our auction and our tournaments and things like that. So we uh, we appreciate that, Dusty. But um, so now we're uh, we're sitting home at a time we've never uh, we've never sat at home before, especially you. You're a, you're a lifer. You know, your dad played in the big leagues, so your whole your whole youth was was in professional baseball, and then you go ahead and you part time. You're a JUCO guy, mm-hmm. sign. And then spend 13 more years in the minor leagues as a player, and then turn into uh, pretty quickly a manager. I mean, you didn't coach very long, did you? I didn't coach at all. You didn't coach at all. You went straight to managing. That's pretty. That's pretty unique. I mean, not many guys jump into that situation. Yeah, that was that was my goal. I think um, going to school in California, growing up in Kansas City, um, like you said, lifer. I was born in Double A. My dad was in Jacksonville. So um, really, this this time of year right here is. I guess somebody asked me the other day when was the last time I was home and. At this time of year, and I said, I guess in high school, I guess 1991, my right. senior year, and then I went to college, and then, you know, a couple of years later, I signed in '94, and so, you know, been in spring training ever since, uh, and or uh, by this point, the season. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, I think uh, it's a weird situation right now that we're in. It's it's crazy. So you get 411 on. On, is it a daily or it, at one point I guess it was kind of daily and then now it's kind of just weaned off and they'll they'll call you when they know. No, I mean we don't really know anything. I mean I think you know this is all up to the government really right. and when it's safe to go mm-hmm. back and uh, you know obviously there's some money situations that have to be figured out with the players association. Uh, it's a big business, billion dollar industry mm-hmm. that uh, things need to be figured out. So um, you know all the stuff you hear is just kind of rumors, just kind of ideas being floated out. I think nobody wants to to kind of put their finger on one thing mm-hmm. and say, hey, let's do this. And then all of a sudden the government comes back and says, wait a minute, we can't, you know, we can't open things up yet. I mean, it takes a lot of people. I think when you sit down and realize how many people it takes to run a game, even if there's no fans there, mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking, well, normally 26 players, but we're probably talking 30 player rosters. And then you, know, you got eight to 12 coaches and a manager and, and we got five, seven on our training staff and you know then you got tv people and all the people that go into it so you know it's not like a basketball where i think you could probably do it in under 100 people or something like that where i mean we're talking you know 100 or so i mean yeah our traveling party in in the regular season uh is probably close to 80 something just, on the plane, all on the yeah, plane. Yeah, yeah. I, I would bet it's 80-something because we're taking social media people and you're taking mm-hmm. all the broadcasting crew for TV and radio, 
all the trainers you're taking a traveling secretary you know obviously he's in charge of everything you're, right. you're taking a uh, um, uh, uh, sometimes either a nutritionist or a chef with you so there's a chef there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of people a lot of people yeah. going our chef travels we always have somebody our from chef. That department, yeah. You've seen that whole transition. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, from getting on a plane and having cold beer in a, in a cooler into, uh, you know, shrimps on a tray that have probably been on the plane for about a week, <laughs> yeah. but you're still going to eat them and you're happy. And now you have a chef on the plane. What's, what's, what's the meals like on a plane? So when you're traveling, because you were like, when, when I played, I was most, mm-hmm. you know, you're traveling cross country. You know, I started off in Chicago, but when I, most of my time was spent in Seattle. So Seattle to Boston, New York, you know, you're, so you're always on the plane for, you know, hours. I mean, great card games over that period of time. But, you know, the food was never, you know, never anything. You had more alcohol than you had food. But now you have, I mean, what's what were they serving on the... Well, I would say the plain food probably hasn't changed a lot other than that there's a ton of snacks. Yeah. And it's all organic this, organic that. Um, you know, you got anything healthy you could think of is on the plane anytime you want it. Uh, the funniest thing I think that's on our plane now is peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and the players love them. And got and they because uh, I talked to our, yeah the, the girl that's in charge of the plane. She says these are the number one thing to go right away because yeah. they're pre-made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Nobody wants to make it, especially at that level. No one wants to make one, right. but they've all eaten <laughs> hundreds of them, yeah. thousands of them going through the minor leagues. No kidding. So yeah. that's like the number one thing to go, really. But, you know, we have normal meals. You know, you know there's a, a beef, a chicken, or whatever. But the problem is, is that you eat, you eat so much that you have to be careful, especially like for those guys, it's great. But for right. guys like me, yeah. I mean, like we have to have three meals a day. Um, unless the game's between like two and five, then there has to be four meals a day. Wow. What? So you have breakfast. So if you play a, th- a three o'clock game and you're leaving after the game on the road, which doesn't happen often, but let's just say you're playing a day game, one o'clock, you have to have three. So there's breakfast when you get there, which we don't hit on the field usually on day games. So in the clubhouse. Oh yeah. No, yeah. cooked by the chef. Cooked by the chef. Um, at home, the chef only. Our I was chef. chef. That's yeah. what the Latin guys call me because they couldn't say Jeff. That's right. Hey, chef. <laughs> That's right. And. Um, so there's breakfast, which most guys eat at you know ten thirty or whatever for a one o'clock game, and then he has to put out lunch, and then after the game there's dinner, and then you know you eat, you know you're on the bus an hour after the game, you're you know police escort to the airport, hop on the plane. So from end of game to when you're on the plane, it's probably an hour and a half, and there's another meal coming on the plane. So uh, you got to be careful, but it's it's all you know organic and things like that so all the guys say oh it's organic it's fine and whatever you can eat it well it's still a bunch of calories (laughs) it's still a ton of calories that's funny you say that because when i went when i did go out to i did the mariners fantasy camp you know at lunchtime they had a whole dining room and the people you know they were cooking like the meals were like different like i remember like i used to tell everybody like the kool-aid had saltpeter in it (laughs) and then you'd get sandwiches or you'd get whatever they could grill and that was it and you went out and played it's amazing how that's all evolved the science of the game and the athletes. So uh, when I was a kid, Al Zeke was the equipment guy in Kansas City. And you would go, if you were hungry during the day, you would go back to Al's office, which was just a cement floor and one of those Coca-Cola sliding coolers. And you grab the white bread, the bologna, the cheese that's in the package, and some mustard. And you made yourself a sandwich as a yeah. little kid. That's what you did. That's all we really had. And then after games, it was special. Every once in a while, they'd have like a sandwich bar or something like that, which was big time, <laughs> right next to the keg that was tapped in the Coke machine. Well, the keg's <laughs> gone, the Coke machine's gone, and now it's all organic everything. So a lot of times, guys would come back to our house as kids or 
um, somebody's go to somebody's house and my mom would cook or somebody would cook after a game a lot of times. So we had growing up, our big meal of the day was before my dad went to the stadium. So we always had dinner at like two o'clock. Um, but my mom cooked a big dinner before he went to the stadium. And now, I mean, flash forward, fast forwarding to my career. Um, I started in 94 and in rookie ball and stuff, you had like chicken noodle soup and peanut butter and jelly, and right. if you weren't the first one in line, you didn't get a noodle. <laughs> so, uh, you got, and they got the carrots. Yeah, <laughs> and it slowly got a little bit better, and now our minor league guys are getting, um, you know, lunch provided either at the hotel or the ballpark, depending on what works out better. Um, you know, they got food before the game, they get food after the game. So, um, yeah, the nutrition is through the roof, and it's it's really good for the guys. But again, for old guys like me. The food is so good sometimes that you got to yeah. be careful. I don't eat on the road after the games. Right. So you usually eat, your day is spent in the clubhouse anyway, right? So you yeah. basically get up and you go. You don't spend much time walking around the cities and that's not your MO. So, you well, it, it is. It is. So yeah. what I do is I get up about nine every day and I I grab a coffee and I'll usually have a banana or something I've, I've brought back. And then from 10 to 11, I go walk the city. Every place I have now. I got a place where I go. Like in, in New York, we're about three quarters of a mile. We're across from uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral. So we're mm-hmm. about three quarters of a mile from Central Park. So I got a route that I, I try to do three to five miles a day, but mostly walking because I got a bad knee. So I don't want to, I don't want to have, sure, be, I'm going to need a knee replacement eventually. <laughs> you'd be don't. praying at the yeah. sink. So, uh, so I got a place pretty much every city that I do that. Uh, come back, take a shower, hang out for a little bit, and then head to the ballpark between one and two or so on the road and then i get there about twelve thirty or one at home at home i do the same thing kind of wake up i got a lake that i can go walk around or sometimes i'll do it at the ballpark so but basically yeah your whole day i mean i don't really eat away from the ballpark much just because you don't have to i mean right. the, the food's at the ballpark you're so paying good. for it anyway yeah well we don't pay for it anymore you guys don't oh that's nice they change yeah. it so you don't so but you have clubhouse dues no they changed that too. Nice. So, well, it is, but they took away meal money. The meal money went from a hundred and something dollars a day to thirty for players, um, and I think depending on the on the road, it's thirty. Mm-hmm. Because they don't pay for millions. anything. You might as well. Well, they don't to... pay for anything. That was what right. they lost in the last negotiation. They yeah. they gained control of the clubhouse and lost um, the meal money. So now the visiting clubhouse manager doesn't really pay for anything. The clubs are all paying for everything. Got it. So it's just kind of changed everything. There was. There's, you probably know him. Yeah. A guy in Seattle was kind of working some things, and, and no. food wasn't up to <laughs> par, and so some guys were complaining, and yeah. he was supposed to be sending some money to different places, and it was going right in his pocket, and uh, that's the story I heard. So um, there were some complaints on different places, and the p- players said, let's, let's just take control of it and let the clubs do it. Everybody's working in an angle. Yeah. yeah. Everybody's working in an so angle. So it was a dif- difficult time. for. I've talked to a lot of clubhouse managers, and a lot of them, some of them quit because – the organizations didn't give them a good deal because they were making X amount of dollars. Right. And now they said, well, you know, yeah, now you're only going to make your salary is actually only this, but you were making this. And, yeah. but some of the teams, I know the Phillies took care of their guys and said, give us a ball. Some making. of those guys that have been around a long time, make some good bank. And especially with the money that's being made now at the end of the year, the tips that get the dropped tips, on some absolutely. of these guys is some, I, I remember Griffey dropping thousands on, on oh, people. Yeah. You know, was, well, when I, when I drive in in my 2002, I've been in baseball for 26 years, my 2002 Ford pickup, and the club he's driving in in a brand new Cadillac. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got in the wrong business. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was just good enough to be stupid and not make any money. He's getting time yeah. too. He's, he's got yeah. a big, big fat pension yeah. from the league or something. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. So all you know, I mean, you've you've spent a lifetime in this, so you've seen this whole evolution. You know, I mean, I 
when I got done playing, I basically got out of bit pro ball and, you know, I never saw the the intricacies of it, you know, you know, behind the scenes. You still see the game, see the game changing, but you don't see behind the scenes how much that's changing. But, you know, we're talking about how, how you st- are you staying in touch with players now? Is it part of your job that you got to stay connected to certain guys or is it just something well, you're doing? Well, it's just something I do. I mean, I think I've always done that, um, even in the winter with our guys. Um, I know when Cap was here, we had a thing that, needed to be filled out um, as far as like a Google sheet that said, mm-hmm. hey, who's contacted this guy and everything. And we do that in the minor leagues a lot, but in the big leagues we don't. I mean, my theory is like a guy knows if you're calling to talk to him because you want to talk to him right? versus I'm calling because somebody told me to call you, yeah. you know? So yeah. the guys that you're closer with, you text, you you check in on, and, and shoot, they check in on me just as much um, just because you've developed that relationship. I've, sure. You know, I've had Hoskins and Adam Morgan and some of those guys, Nola for – you know, five, six, seven years now. So the relationship they built, not only with myself, but with my family, especially mm-hmm. the boys being in the clubhouse, you know, they're texting, hey, how are they doing? What's going on with them? You know, what's wrong? You know, are they missing baseball? What are they doing? All that yeah. stuff. So, um, you know, there's certain guys you reach out to. Obviously, I reach out to the catchers. I think the best thing is that we have a kid that's in the Dominican Republic, Davey Gruyon, and he's on WhatsApp with us. And he said, we told him, send us videos. So we get the best videos you've ever seen <laughs> every day with workouts, like stuff you see, like you're like, how do the kids in Dominican work out? And there's like a net up that he just worked together. He's got balls that are all smashed up. And the next scene is like him on his horse, riding his horse. And, and it's awesome. <laughs> chasing the chickens. Yeah, no, it's uh, awesome. It's chasing the chickens. <laughs> That's speed training. That's speed training season. equipment. No, yeah, the it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. But I mean, he's getting it done. Uh, so it's really cool to see, you know, thank God this stuff happened now. I yeah. mean, all the, you know, Zoom calls and FaceTime oh, and WhatsApp and oh everything. So yeah. you can see everything. Like before it was like, Hold on, let me go buy another phone card somewhere and try to plug in all the <laughs> sure. numbers and see what's going That's on. That's so funny. That would be a great infield training drill. I got to tell Trent Mongero and, and Trotsky that, that just put a bunch of chickens in and put the infielders in there because you got to stop and go and you got to move. That'd yeah, be make, outstanding. That's it. Yeah. Well, you got the great reactions. That's right. It is. That's amazing because they chase chickens. That's why the best <laughs> infielders come out of the, out of the Latin countries. That's right. That's crazy. But, so, um, the, let's let's talk a little bit about the hitting process that's going on now and the change, you know. And uh, you know, we, we we see on social media. I know you're not huge on social media, but um, you know, if you go on Twitter or you go on uh, Instagram or something like that, there's there's a million million hitting instructors out there, and uh, a lot of them just don't get any. They they don't have any approach, or they really don't understand the fundamentals of it. They're just kind of you know, they just pulled it in and they either read a book or saw another video and decided they're going to go charge somebody 50 bucks for a half hour and, and, and teach. But, you know, are the philosophies changed drastically in the Philly system or is it kind of, are they adapting to what the hitter strengths are like we did when we, you know. So I mean, I, you're a 600 yeah. hitter in the big leagues, so, man. Yeah. So, you know, that's a- <laughs> I'm one of the few that wanted to get, give me a chance to drop my average place. <laughs> Never got the chance. But I think, I think, I mean, that's a good question. Mm-hmm, yeah. I think so. Uh, we have uh, our minor league director of hitting is Jason Ochart, and he's from Driveline, uh, one of the founding guys of Driveline. Um, great guy. And I was skeptical about all this stuff at the beginning, but really, like I, I during this quarantine time, I've taken a little bit of time on myself, and and they did a great um, online. Uh, educational program that I passed the 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 hitting one I'm kind of in the middle of the pitching one right now but um, it's really interesting because the way they talk about the hitting is different but 
it's actually the same stuff we've been doing for years and years and years. Um, but their training, which I agree agree with, is like high velocity. You train above above where the game's going to be like. Um, and they're more into, and we're getting more into failure in practice is is great because what happens is. We have all this success in batting practice where everybody wants to oh, throw it down the middle, throw it down the middle. Yeah. But the biggest thing is, is strike zone recognition. And mm-hmm. we train ourselves to swing. We never train ourselves to take. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge thing. And I've seen over the last couple of years where it's helped a lot of our players to train us to take. Like, and especially when you get to you know pro ball, even college, at, one, at some point your swing is what your swing is. I can figure out, I can stand on one foot right now and still put a barrel on the ball i got in the cage with huck the other day and started hitting and he's like holy cow we were off a machine he's like what it doesn't go very far but it still hits the barrel (laughs) but it hits the barrel where it's supposed to go right and and i think that's the key i could still do that but if you put me up there and i have to decide if i'm gonna swing yeah now we're in a different story so i think that's a big thing that that we've kind of started training is not swinging so once you get to a certain point like i said your swing is your swing and so you're probably better off taking eight swings out of 50 pitches mm-hmm. and having somebody throw a higher velocity balls out of the zone rather than throwing it right here. Because, I mean, I could put you in the cage. I'll throw to you, mm-hmm. right? And, oh, and about, hit, the, yeah. uh, about the second round, I'm going to be like, all right, if I throw it here, Shave's going to hit it right. well. Right. Yeah. So I can just go like this. So I can feel yeah. you, make you feel as good as I want mm-hmm. or I can make you feel as bad as I want. And I throw fairly hard BP and it cuts a little bit, uh, just natural cut. And a lot of the guys like hitting off me because it's firm and it's more actual it's it's it can be a strike if i want it right yeah but the perceived velocity which we talk about a lot in our catching and in our hitting the perceived velocity is similar to a game rather than a guy throwing 45 with a hump in it or underhand soft toss i mean i could bring you know a six-year-old in here and underhand soft toss him and in five swings the parents think wow yeah this kid (laughs) figured it it out see it all the time right but then I put him in a game situation and he can't do anything yeah. because he hasn't had to make a decision. So I think a lot of the driveline stuff like that is is decision making. Um, and if you really break it down, um, it's not a lot different than what the verbiage is different because the guys are smarter. You know, they've been educated. Yeah. Not smarter, but their their education. They got a bunch of letters after their names and stuff now, yeah. and we don't have them. Yeah. But I mean, mine is like, okay, sure. I grew up in Double A, and I've been yeah. in a clubhouse. I watched George Brett. No, you have I a doctorate. Carlton. You have a doctorate in, yeah. this, in this game. You've been here longer than those guys. Yeah, they just don't life. give me any letters afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I did that because I mean, I see it, it's a shame because I've seen a lot of guys, a lot of friends lose their jobs. Um, and it's happened more on the pitch. Well, it's happened on both sides, the pitching side and the and the hitting side. They lose their jobs, and they're 50 years old, and they've been in the game their whole life, and now they try to go get a job, and no one will hire them because they don't have any of this behind them. Right. So my suggestion, and which is why I'm doing it, because I'm mm-hmm. going to get fired soon enough. Right. I mean, it's going to happen. Um, that I want to be educated in all these things. So I can walk into an interview and say, yeah, here's, here's what I've done, yeah. but I also have done driveline stuff. I've also done uh, TPI certification that I did last year with the, with the Phillies. Mm-hmm. And the Phillies have been great about educating us in all this stuff if you want. Yeah. It's all, nothing's mandatory, but I'm going to take advantage of it because, I mean, more education, you got to continually keep educating yourself. Is, that's what my opinion. One of, one, of the, one, of the, one of the books that I keep in my office and I go to all the time is a book that Dusty told me about was Intangibles. 
Yeah. Is that still a big piece? I mean, you know, because that's a lot of, there's a lot of mental that's going on. You're talking about recognition and choices and decisions and stuff like that. You know, at that level, you know, and even at the levels that we're coaching on the showcase level, most of these kids have fundamentally sound swings. They can do whatever. But what happens that, you know, the biggest separator is anybody can cheat, teach a fundamentally sound swing. I mean, you can go get certified mm-hmm. and whatever. But if you don't have the experience, you don't understand the approach, and you de- certainly don't understand the mental part of it. I, I put out a tweet today, Ray. You might, you might have saw it, but it, and, I've, and I've put it out several times before. It's the Clemson crew. Four guys, one at the plate, two on deck, one in the dependent they have, and they're all timing the hitter. They're all preparing before. Where, you know, things like that aren't taught. You know, I mean, yeah, I had Edgar Martinez. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was very fortunate to have Edgar. Um, and Edgar was so structured in his approach to every single at bat. He never came off. You know what I mean? There's other times you feel horrible. You're like, oh, I got to go hit. I got to go play. He never came off. So he always told me, you know, because I had limited ability, especially, off, uh, you know, offensively. I just, I was a grinder. I was just like, yeah, I put the barrel on the ball and it wasn't going anywhere. So, but... That's the part that we try to teach here more than anything else. Where I talk to the kids during the game about, it. I don't, t- I don't care about the fundamentals during a game. You know what I mean? It's your approach to the game, your preparation to the game, and that isn't taught by the by the yo-yo or the Yahoo down the road that just you know can teach a swing. So, is mental training as much a part of the Phillies organization as the physical parts? Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> Jeff Miller's our mental skills coach. Mm-hmm. We actually he's the, he does the major leagues now. And triple A and double A, and we have three other full-time mental skills coaches that go all the way from the Dominican Republic uh, up to A ball. And it's just you know some guys believe in it, some guys don't. But I think it's definitely something that you know it's just a check-in point. Um, they give you some ideas of things where to head. But um, I think we're teaching it in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, from the hitting coach, Joe Dillon's our hitting coach. Uh, Joe's a great guy, and we have some tests now that we can do uh, that can kind of figure out what a guy needs help in, you know, how he recognizes pitches and things like that. So there's a lot of tests like that. So I think the mental side of it is probably as big, if not bigger than the physical side of it, because like you said, um, the funnel gets smaller as we go up, right? Like, you know, the, the 10-year-old kids, there's there's a bunch of kids playing, and it gets smaller and smaller, and the ability gets more similar as we get to the top, right? right? And the separator is what are the other things? And you and I were talking mm-hmm. before uh, before we started here on the podcast. Uh, Ryan Harrison does a thing that I, uh, his dad, uh, you know, he passed away, but his dad started it, uh, Bill Harrison, Dr. Bill Harrison uh, of eye stuff. And it, it was a lot of mental eye stuff, eye recognition, you know, things like that that help you along the way. And I think those things, all, all those other intangible things are really important in the hitting process. And I think you know, confidence is, is a big thing and it's hard to teach confidence or it's hard to teach a kid if you've never done what they're trying to do right, right now. Yeah. So that's where we talk about yeah. like these, these young hitting guys and, and that's where to me experience is, mm-hmm. is an important thing. No matter what level that is, I mean, I think you need some type of experience to talk about hitting uh, or to talk about pitching or to talk about catching or picking up a ground ball. All those things, I think it's important, and and some of the best teachers were not very good players. Exactly right. Uh, I mean, I've had a couple hitting coaches that were, you know, really really now, good hitters you know, in the big leagues. Make sure we, and they we were, clear that up, though, and say not the best players, but they were major league players. Right. But I've had, but I mean, you can ask George Brett. Right. He went back, and I heard George talking the other day about um, when he went back to be a hitting coach in the big leagues, and he said. 
he quit because he's like, it's too hard. I, 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 I just, you know, I, he did his things to hit and stuff, but he, it's too hard to teach right. it. He, he just thought it was too hard. And I had some really good, good, I mean, almost Hall of Fame hitting coaches that were really good big league hitters that just weren't the greatest hitting coaches yeah. because they didn't have to do much to hit. They didn't have to grind it out and They didn't think it out. about it. They didn't it. have to figure they out just, how to compete. They, they it came, felt it. It just, just came yeah. so natural to yeah. them um, that they didn't think about, well, oh, yeah, I, maybe I did do that. But they yeah. didn't know they did it, yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah. the guys that had to, you know, fight and scratch and claw, those are the guys that knew what they were doing, and, and they paid a little bit more attention to things and probably end up being really good teachers. Yeah, you, you hear that often. People say, well, the, you know, the, the superstars don't manage or coach at the game because they have so much money. It's not the, that's not the truth. The truth is, you know, the, everybody loves the game regardless of how much money you want. A lot of guys have to stay in it, but they don't know how to teach it. I mean, I the same thing. I watched Griffey. You know, I sat there for three years. I mean, actually watched him for four, played against him the first year when I was in Chicago, and then three years with him in Seattle. And dude would, like, not tie his shoes and just roll off the training table and go out and just rake. <laughs> You know, but, you know, I'd be in there and I'd have like different colored balls and stuff like that. You know, hit the green, you know, boom. And you're, you're always trying to find these different drills that allow you to get out there and compete. And these guys, so you couldn't get, you couldn't get information out of Griffey. But Edgar, who was not a very good player, mm-hmm. was, you know, turned himself into a good hitter. And he wasn't even a great hitter coming out of AAA. He was just a guy that in the Mariners organization got a chance and, you know, barreled up and opposite type of uh, oppo field guy, mm-hmm. doubles guy, whatever. And then just, but you're talking about eye training, you know, when we started this thing, he would put a tennis ball above his bed with different letters on it and he would swing the ball and he would sit there because he had a lazy eye. So it was, it was mandatory that he would do this. Otherwise, you know, that I would take off and wander. <laughs> um, but he trained himself, he, you know, he trained himself to now. So when he said, when I see the baseball, I don't see the baseball, I see a dot on the ball, uh, yeah. and I attacked the dot. So it's interesting. So Dylan, you know, with all this stuff, we're, you know, we're trying to keep our kids. Mm-hmm. You know, you're working with Huck at home, and I'm working with Dylan. And, you know, we're in the garage a lot now, and we're throwing balls off the wall. So I took that philosophy, and I put letters on a tennis ball, a bunch of them. And then another ball, I put numbers on it. So I'll bounce the ball off the wall because Dylan has a tendency to come up and go too quick to, to throw. And he's got really good hands. He just doesn't feel clean a lot of the times mm-hmm. because he's pulling his eyes off the ball. So now he's got to read the ball, tell me the letter. Read the ball, tell me the letter. So, you know, those are the things there that, you know, we know, mm-hmm. but the guy down the road doesn't know. Yeah, it's like, I mean, I played with a lot of those guys you played with. They had yeah. just played for a few more years after that. Like, yeah. So Edgar would sit in his locker, and he had all kinds of eye drills. He's done. Yeah. And we're in spring training, and it's 1998, so at this year he's got – you know, at that point, he's got 10 years in the big leagues right. or close to 10 years in, in the big leagues. And he, we're in spring training, and he's doing eye drills in his in his mm-hmm. locker in spring training. And yeah. we're, you know, we're a month away from the season start, and he's doing them. So he's doing them all the time. So little things like that, I think, made him right. elite right. rather than yeah. just a good hitter. I mean, it made him one of the probably – well, he's one of, one HOF, of, baby. One of, if not the greatest right-handed hitter I've ever seen. Sure. That's the H editor in the game. Yeah. Well, big poppies in that oh, in that yeah, list yeah, too. Right, but yeah. you know, that's depends, right. I like depends. to say right-handed. Right-handed. That's <laughs> perfect. That, that's perfect. But yeah. So you know, but those are the things that you give these kids, and very few will grasp it and take it in, and and take it long term. Because you know, everybody's trying to invent a new thing, a new tool, a new drill, or whatever. And it's not that way. You know what I mean? It's it's doing it. I played, uh, you know, in the Orioles organization, Ripken Sr. was still around. And he used to say, not practice makes perfect, perfect practice, right? So you don't have to modify everything. If you're doing the same thing over and over and over, and and you can repeat, and you can repeat, you know, then 
Well, that's you know, a, you're gonna have you're gonna have successes. That's gonna that's what separates the good from the elite, right? I mean, the guys that could do it over and over and over again. Sure, I, I think like this the, day this day and age, these kids are just want instant instant success. They don't want to. Well, that's showcase baseball. Yeah, I mean, you they know, just want to go. I, I got a show today with the, this guy. What I can do, yeah. and it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, you know, long term. But it's. You guys you know, are talking about Edgar Martinez, and I mean, when you came up, it was like what 1975, and he said 1998. <laughs> uh, 75. <laughs> no, but uh, close though. <laughs> but he was there for how many years? I mean, in 19, yeah. and he's still doing eye drills in 1998. I mean, he's well. That, that's the point. So Dusty says, you know, you get to the big leagues, and and there's there's great there's greatness in the big leagues that could play in another league if there was there, yeah. and you can't. There's just you know, and then but they got to play with those mortals that are there. So you know, you got 800 guys in the big leagues. There's somebody that's ranked 800. You mm-hmm. know, so you're not, you're not the top. So, you know, that guy's a grinder. That guy's the one that takes everything forward. But the great guys, the greatest, um, A-Rod, you know, and whether you like A-Rod or not, the kid worked, man. Yeah. And the kid was brilliant. Uh, Manny Ramirez, you know, Manny Ramirez had a computer in his head. I mean, he was amazing. He, you know, he couldn't even, he didn't even want to learn the English language. And he was here for, you know, his whole, almost, oh, yeah, a- his whole life. But, you know, those guys, those guys figure out what, they need to continue. They do things. They mm-hmm. just don't show up. They do things. Well, you know, unless you're a Griffey and you just, you know, you just go. But like Manny, Manny um, gets a lot of of grief. And I, I played with a lot of guys that play with him. I never played with him directly, but obviously watched him play. But he gets a lot of grief for sleeping. They said, "Oh, he's sleeping on the training table." Yeah. Well, they said that the stories go back that he would be there at like ten thirty, eleven in the morning, hitting for hours and hours. Yeah. And then he was way ahead of schedule because he would go and take a nap before the game to rest his eyes and to rest his body mm-hmm. and be ready to go. And now, a couple, two, three, four, mm-hmm. five years ago, they're promoting this. So all the teams are <laughs> supposed to have a sleep room in the, in the clubhouse now because, because they're promoting that. But it used to be, what happened when you, fall, when you fell asleep in the clubhouse back in your day? Oh, I get in oh, trouble. Oh, you get oh, in yeah, trouble. Get somebody ripped. smack you, oh, somebody, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it was the worst thing you could ever do. Yeah. And so that's why he got that rap. But now they're saying, no, that's important. An hour before the game, if you can get 10 minutes in, yeah. if you can put, you know, we got all this technology. Siestas, you put these, man. <laughs> you put these headphones on and some glasses yeah. and relax and all this stuff, and you do that. and, and Tranquillo. Yeah, and, and <laughs> then your mind is relaxed. I mean, they're, they're finding out, you know. What, looking at your phone, all this stuff, it's, it messes with your eyes, messes with your brain, all Listen, that stuff. I, you know, and the anxiety of a game drains you too. Oh, yeah. You know, there's certain guys like I would get, I would get, I would amp up, you know, naturally. And sometimes unnaturally, you know, <laughs> to, to play. But, you know, I need, I, 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 it'd start in the morning. I'd start to get, you know, I'd get jojo about the game, who we facing, what's going on, am I playing, what situations will I get in. And then, you know, you get to the clubhouse and you do your work and all of a sudden you're like, wow, dude, I'm like really tired. I got to take it. And I would go underneath the training table, you know, because they had the sheets that went down <laughs> and I would tell Griffin. And, and you could like, fit. Oh, easily. I fit in the <laughs> luggage rack. <laughs> when we traveled on the bus, I was in the luggage rack. But those, you know, those are things that, you know, that over time people start to go, you know, oh, he's lazy, he sleeps, he's whatever. Yeah. But it's not. It's, it's all, everybody has their own way of preparing. And if and if he's going to sleep and come out and hit you know three twenty and and drive in over a hundred runs, pff, nap all day, dude. That's but it. if he was a two eighty hitter knocking in eighty runs, yeah, there would have been a lot more made of it that he sure. was. Yeah. You know, at the time that was right. a, that was average. Right. I mean, now if you did that, right. you're you're making thirty million. But yeah. I think it's funny because we have a sleep doctor. I mean, part of our he comes in talks to us every year. Um, he's Chef. on retainer. I mean, so I mean that's yeah. that's crazy. Dude, I, I need that guy. There's now. so much. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's a 10.7 billion dollar industry, so it's that's nuts. that's yeah, why they nuts. have all the and things. Grown, I mean, so. and the, trying to figure out how to get an advantage. Uh, each organization is trying to do it. So 
Um, you know, every win is worth millions and millions of dollars. All right. So, all right, we're going to peel off on the uh, on the podcast, Andrew. Yep. We'll jump off to uh, our Facebook Live here, but. Uh, so Dusty's going to jump on Facebook Live with us, Ray. Awesome. We'll, we'll roll from there, and we'll pick up some of the subjects that we went over. But there's uh, there's much more. There's much more. So we appreciate everybody listening to number 91 of the Schaefer Baseball Report podcast. Thank you. Yeah.